0: Our theme and text for the series is found in Luke's Gospel, the 11th chapter, the first verse, just these words out of that verse Lord, teach us to pray. Now, how is God going to teach us to pray? Through His Word. All we need to know on the subject of prayer is found in his word. If we needed to know more, he would have told us more. In the day services, we're talking about the prayer of intercession or intercessory prayer. Well, let's read to see what God's word has to say along that line. Turn with me first to the book of Isaiah the 66th chapter and then follow me real quickly because we're going to uh, Hebrews the 12th chapter that I think you'll be able to find the other scriptures real easy because they'll be in the New Testament we're going to Romans the 8th chapter 1 Corinthians the 14th chapter and Galatians the 4th chapter but first of all Isaiah 66th chapter and the 8th verse Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall the earth be made to bring forth in one day? Or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. Now you'll find that oftentimes scriptures in the Old Testament, prophecies, have a twofold meaning. There is first the natural meaning, and then there is the spiritual meaning. And this verse does talk about Israel as a nation being born at once, so to speak, in these last days. That happened, you know, back in the 40s, and Israel is a nation now. But when he talked about Zion, he's not necessarily talking about Israel. Let's see what he is talking about. Turn to Hebrews, the 12th chapter. And let's start reading for the, with the 18th verse of the 12th chapter of the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18. We shall read several verses. For ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched, and that burn with fire, nor unto blackness, and darkness, and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet, and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them anymore, for they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned, or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. Now this is Moses, of course, on Mount Sinai when he received the tables of the law and so on and so forth. But, and so he said, we as New Testament Christians are not coming to that mount. Alright, let's read the 22nd verse. But ye are come unto Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn. See, Jesus was the first, as I said yesterday, the first person that was ever born again, because he died spiritually separated from God, that is. He's the firstborn, and we're all born also of God. Now, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. You see, God didn't make any imperfect new creatures. Our spirits, the inward man is the man that's become a new man in Christ. Second Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away, behold all things have become new he didn't make any imperfect new creatures our imperfection is not on the inside our imperfections have to do with the outward man amen or in the soul realm see that's not your spirit it's your spirit that's made perfect or in the soul realm in our intellects our emotional being but we need to present our bodies to God, get our minds renewed with the Word of God, hallelujah, and then they'll be able to coincide with our spirits, to the spirits of just men made perfect. Now, in case you don't know it, I'll reiterate this thought, the students know it because we made mention of that, but you see, the same Greek word, I think the same Greek word that's translated righteous is translated just, same word, same word. So when he said just men, he, he, he said righteous men and you see you're made righteous not because of who you are what you've done but because you got on the robe of righteousness of jesus hallelujah so we're come you see unto mount zion unto the city of the living god the heaven jerusalem to an innumerable company of angels to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn which are written in heaven and to god the judge of all and to the spirits of just men made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. Hallelujah. So you see what he said Zion is here, is the general assembly of the church of the firstborn. That's us, that's Zion. Now go back and read that again, for as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. Now, turn over to the book of Galatians in the New Testament. And read a very similar statement that will help you to see something. Remember, as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. And then we read here in Hebrews who Zion is. And that's us. Now Paul makes a statement that will help clarify it even more here in Galatians 4.19. My little children. Now he's writing to the churches. This is a letter that was to be read throughout all the churches in Galatia. Not just one church, but all the churches. These churches had sprung up because of the missionary journeys of Paul and Barnabas and Silas and some of the others, but of Paul primarily. That's really he called them, my little children, because they were his converts. My little children of whom I travail, now there's that word travail again, When Zion travailed, she brought forth the children. My little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. (laughs) Insinuating that he had travailed in birth for them to begin with. But they had remained baby Christians and they hadn't really grown up in Christ as they should. Now in talking about travail here, He was talking about, actually, what the Bible is talking about, like a woman in travail to bring forth the birth of a child. There's some pain involved. You see, it's certainly true that because of the curse that that was increased, if you go back to the book of Genesis. And he said uh, that the curse was that it would be increased didn't say that there wouldn't be any nice thing to bring forth a child there's going to be some discomfort and you can believe God that the curse will be lifted but not all of it, because he just simply said that it'll be multiplied that's the word that he used that your pain would be multiplied you can believe God that that part of that curse part the multiplication of it will be taken away but naturally all of it's not going to be taken away there's going to be some discomfort you'll find that in travailing for the lost interceding for the lost. An intercessor is one who takes the place of another. Now here's something that will help people. Here's here's something a lot of folks don't know because people ask me in this charismatic movie. You know, Sometimes they're thinking, you know, in the service and the altar calls given, you know, I just feel like I'm lost myself. They don't know where they are or not. Well, no, no. They're taking the place of somebody is lost and they do feel lost. I remember years ago, and I've had this more than once, but this is the most outstanding experience. Uh, after I was, uh, like I said, was the baptism the Holy Ghost and received the left foot of fellowship from among the Baptists, the month of January of 1939, I was holding a revival meeting in a full gospel church, Blackland, North Central Texas. And uh, we would, uh, the pastor and his wife and my wife and I would pray we only had the night service, but about 10 o'clock every morning in the parsonage, in the living room, we'd pray together concerning our services. Remember, I was kneeling over by the couch or the sofa in the living room, and this burden of prayer, of intercession, and reading, I didn't know, you know, you got to realize that I'd had the baptism of the Holy Ghost for less than 18 months, and these things were new to me. And, uh, you know, I just began to groan. And, and to pray, and, and, and it just felt like, actually, right down in here in my stomach, i just go to buzz wide open to tell you the truth about it. It's just like something tearing, you know. And I groaned and cried and prayed, and uh, I, I felt like I was lost. Because I had been lost. And, 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 you know, on the inside of you, in your spirit, in your inner man, you have the same sensation of being a sinner and being lost. And, and I, I found myself crying out, lost. Lost! Lost! I'm lost! I'm lost! Well, I knew I wasn't lost. But see, what I was doing is taking the place. An intercessor is one who takes the place of the... You do not intercede for yourself. You intercede for another. Are you following me? And I was taking the place of the lost. I felt just like they felt. I had the same sensation. You see, when Zion travails, I was travailing in prayer. I'm lost. Lost. And I don't know how long I prayed that way because I was more or less over into the spirit. And uh, and then I, I, I saw in the spirit, not, not not a vision, but revelation, the low the highest type of revelation, and the lowest type of vision, the very similar, it's difficult to tell whether it's which one it is, because you can see this in the spirit realm, you see. And it just may be a revelation that came to you. I don't have time to go and explain that. But anyway. The, uh, I could see people just, just falling off into hell. And uh, I, uh, I cried out. And, and I didn't know, you see, because I was more of taken up the spirit, but those present said, you know, you know, I cried out in, in pain and in, like the rich man did when he lifted up his eyes in hell, being in torment, and seeth Father Abraham before all. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, he saw Nazareth, the bosom. said, send Nazareth. Then they dipped the tip of his finger in water and cooled my tongue. And they said, you know that my tongue just run out of my mouth. Well, I don't know how long I interceded that way, but quite some time. Now, I went out to the service that night, and I'd been preaching about 15 minutes. Started my sermon, you see, and right in the middle of my sermon, the power of God fell, and every single sinner in the house got saved. And every backslider got saved. Not a single one of them, not a one was left. Praise God, that's what I was doing, you see. Was interceding for those people. When Zion travails, then they'll be born. Are you listening to me? Now, you see, here's something that we need to realize and know. And that we need to... uh, we need to, 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 to get a good, clear picture of. We want to do personal work, and we want to win people. But you see, many times folks are not really born because there's no travail. It's sort of a sort of a head something. yeah, I believe Jesus Son of God. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I accept Jesus. Yeah, I confess him as my Lord, but it's more or less a mental something doesn't get out on the inside. That's the reason those conversions or those type of conversions usually never last. Once in a while one will. Because you see it's on on a different level entirely. Uh, As soon as Zion travails, she brought forth the children. There's not going to be any children born into any home without some travail. Like I said, that extra that is going to be multiplied part of the curse you can take away. You can believe God, you can claim deliverance from the curse. And there's not going to be any any children born into the family of God without spiritual travail. Jesus said, No man cometh unto my unto me except my Father draw him. We're going to have to have the conviction of the Spirit of God. Are you following me? The conviction of god's spirit a lot of times in doing personal work a lot of times it's just simply on a on a human level there's no conviction it takes the spirit of god and the word of god to bring conviction are, are you following me now smith wigglesworth said now he wasn't a preacher at this time in fact never even thought that he would ever be a preacher didn't have the baptism of the holy ghost but he was born again. This is before he even married. He was just a, a plumber's assistant. Finally became a plumber himself. But he said, I made a covenant with the Lord the first of the year that I'd leave at least one soul to the Lord every, every day. But now you see, he didn't just go out on the street promiscuously talking to people. He said, for instance, I'd go because the streets were full of people, just, you know. And I'd take my lunch time. Instead of eating lunch, I'd stand on the street and say, now, Lord, you lead me to somebody. See, you've got to get the Spirit of God in it. You've got to have both of them, you see, not just a mental something, you see. Or... And so he said, uh, this particular day I said to the Lord, Lord, lead me to the soul that's the nearest to eternity. Well, he said, I stood there, I didn't have any leading to talk to anybody. See, he didn't just talk to somebody in mass. I didn't have any leading to talk to anybody. My lunch period's over, I ought to be back to work. I'm going to have to work overtime now to make up for that. See, so I said, Lord, hurry up. (laughs) You know, you know I've got to get back to work, you know, and I'll have to work 30 minutes overtime now to make up this extra time. Still no, no leading, no leading. Now, you see, he's not Spirit-filled, but he's born of the Spirit, he knows the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God leads us. Hallelujah. So he said, and I said, Lord, hurry up. The longer I'm off here, the more I'm going to have to work. I'll have to work later, you see. And said, hurry up and lead me to somebody now. Then he said about the third time he'd prayed that away, and said, Lord, hurry up. He said, here came an old fella down the street, in, you know, in a, in a cart horse-drawn cart. This fellow, you know, would gather up, jump around stuff and sell it, you know, or carry things for people, you know, they'd, they'd hire him to, to uh, carry things for them and move it or something. And and he didn't really know him personally, he just knew who he was because he didn't live too far from his mother's house where he lived. And so he said, uh, the Spirit of God said to him, I mean, just that inward, still small voice said, go join yourself to that cart. Well, he's already running late. Already should have been back at work. So he said, I just ran, hopped up on that cart, and just didn't wait, just started preaching to that fella immediately, you know. And said he seemed to be just as hard as nails. Said, oh, you've, you've got the wrong person this time, buddy. I'm not interested in no things. I don't believe that stuff. No. No, he said, I didn't get the wrong person. God has never led me wrong any time. And started in again preaching to him. Fellow said again to him, no, you're just barking up the wrong tree. I'm putting it in our words, you know, you're barking up the wrong tree. Just seem to be hard as nails. I'm not concerned. I'm not interested in that stuff. I don't believe it. You just got the wrong one this time. No, he said, I didn't get the wrong one. God led me to you. And I started in preaching to him again. And he said, about that time I saw a tear or two come in his eye. Directly the, the fellow started crying. A conviction came, you see, and he said, "I prayed with him going down the street in that cart, and the old man got saved. Hallelujah!" And I jumped off the cart and went back to work. Had to work, you know, about forty-five minutes later that day, overtime to make up for this time he'd late coming in. Now he said, two days later, I came in from work in the afternoon. This time he wasn't late, you know. And I noticed down the street all some cars and carts and horses, because they had a lot of horses the carts and then as well as some cars. And, and I noticed all these people, you see. And as I went in, I said to my mother, what, what is, and, and she's just a young man those days. What, 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 what what's all the commotion? Well, I said, didn't you hear? I said, no, I didn't hear anything. Well, I said, Mr. So-and-so died last night. That was this old gentleman that he had led to the Lord just the day before. Well, that's what he had prayed. Lord, lead me to the one that's the nearest to eternity. Hallelujah to God. So you see, we've got to have the Spirit of God in this thing. It isn't just a program that we set up. Naturally, we can learn to use the Word of God skillfully, and we should, and do a better job. But it isn't just a program that we set up. It's being led of the Spirit. We've got to get the Spirit of God into the thing. I remember I was preaching one time in a certain church, and and I was teaching some along this line. Now, both the pastor and his wife were both ordained ministers of the gospel. And so uh, the two of them said to me, he said, Brother Hagin, you'd be interested in this. We got all stirred up here, you know, going to do some visitation, and that's fine, all right. But said, we would meet here at the church, primarily the ladies, because most of the men are working, you see. And they had a lovely prayer room. i never seen any more beautiful prayer room in my life. Lovely carpet, you know, and just a lovely place to large. And, and we ladies would all have a little word of prayer, you know, just, just sort of a, just a little word of prayer, you know. And maybe read a scripture. And we'd go out by twos to knock on doors. And we just did that for about three or four weeks. And, and we got two people to come to church and never got anybody saved. And the pastor's wife, who was also an ordained minister, said, I said to him, I believe we're trying to do this too much just in the energy of the flesh without the direction of the Spirit. And I think that's where the problem is. See, you can work yourself to death and not have any results. And she said, I think what we need to do is to come here and not just have a little word of prayer, but we need to get on our knees and pray and intercede and pray in the Spirit until we get some kind of a leading from God. And let God lead us to what he knows people who need help. He knows people who would be interested. They just happened to knock on the doors where people weren't interested. And so she said, I remember one of the, oh, we had many marvelous experiences. But I remember, she said, one experience that I had while I was praying. I had a vision. And and I saw a, a, a house, an old house, you know, that wasn't just a big old mansion, I guess, at one time. But now then it had been divided into four apartments, two apartments upstairs, two apartments downstairs. And I, I saw the, on the street corner in this vision, I saw it came right before me while I was praying in tongues, and I saw it said, you know, such and such a street, third street, I believe. And then I saw the house, I saw the number on it, you know, gave the... And, and, and I knew it was this apartment upstairs, you see. Four B. And so she said i got up from this place of prayer then and i said to my husband you see uh, is there such a street in town as this i just called it 30 you know he said well i don't know this was a large city of two or three hundred thousand people or four or five hundred thousand I, I don't know whether it's you know you don't know all the streets in the town of that city of that size and so he looked at the map, and he found yeah he said right here yeah yeah well she said i saw the street corner and and this street's so this name, and that street's that name, and he found it for her said, yeah, it's right here, it's right here. Well, she said, I've got to go, and so she took the lady that was going with her, and they went there, and she said, just as I drove up, never been in that part of the city before, but I saw this apartment house, and I said, that's it, right, Johnna. that's what I saw in my vision. And they went upstairs to this apartment, 4B and knocked on the door, and there's a lady's voice inside that said, come in. And so this pastor's wife, who was also a minister herself, and the lady she opened the door. It was unlocked, you see, but just shut, and stepped inside. And there was a woman lying right there in this very front room over in a little bed in the corner. And when she saw them, she just started to shout. Just shouting. Just to shout. She was sick. She was bedfast, actually. Couldn't get up to open the door. And they got her quiet down and said, what are you shouting about? Well, she said, I had a vision yesterday. And I saw you coming in, lay hands on me, and I was healed. <laughs> Boy, that sounds like acts of the apostles, doesn't it? And that woman laid hands on her, and she was healed, and she is in the services next Sunday, you see. Well, you see, you've got to get the spirit in it. You, you, you can't leave the supernatural out of it. Are you listening to me? And that's the same way in, in, in new births. You can't leave the supernatural out of it. As soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. Zion's a church. We read about it here. Paul said, my little children of whom I travail, didn't he? In prayer, so it's travailing in prayer again. So he had already done it once for them to be saved evidently. I travail in prayer again that Christ may be formed in you that in your spirit, you see, your spirit will become like Christ. Well, the potential was there, but grow in maturity, you see, of Christ would be a, probably another a better way to say it. But you see, that's a intercession and travail is an almost lost art of prayer. Yet the Word of God tells us so clearly and so plainly, here it is. Now, turn back again, we were there yesterday, let's go back again to Romans the 8th chapter, and at the same time, open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians, the 14th chapter. 8th chapter, Romans, 26th verse, likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. In other words, for short, that verse just simply said, also the Spirit helpeth us helpeth us in our prayer helps us to pray let me reemphasize another facet of the fact of our better covenant and better promises that under the old covenant the king, the priest, the prophet were anointed by the spirit but the rest of them weren't they didn't have the Holy Ghost to help them to pray see how much better off we are See what a better job we ought to do. See how much better it should be. The Spirit. Likewise, help us, our infirmities, for we know not for what to pray as we ought. Now, we know how to pray. We pray to Jesus, to God, the Father, in the name of Jesus. That's how to do it. We know that. But we know not for what to pray as we ought. But the Spirit itself, or the Martin said himself, maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, no, that doesn't say that the Holy Ghost is going to do you praying for it. He's going to help you to pray. And I pointed out that P. C. Nelson said, actually, the Greek says, with groanings which cannot be uttered in articulate speech. And he went on to explain that articulate speech means your regular kind of speech. So, therefore, these are groanings and other tongues, evidently, that escape your lips as you are in travail and in intercession for others as the Spirit may lead you or as you just want to take the burden upon yourself and say, Holy Spirit, help me here. And he'll do it. Now, you see here in 1 Corinthians, the 14th chapter, 14th verse, Paul said, For if I pray in an unknown tongue, now, you see, uh, tongues have something to do with prayer then. Amen. You, you, you just can't teach prayer without tongues. You've never taught on prayer if you haven't included tongue. You may have taught a little bit on it, but I'm talking about the whole thing, you see, the whole concept of it. No wonder our praying is so short. No wonder it's so ineffective. Now, for if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth but my understanding's is unfruitful. Now the Amplified Translation adds, my spirit by the Holy Spirit within me prayeth. No, he didn't say that's the Holy Spirit praying. It's the Holy Spirit helping me to pray. That's exactly what Romans 8.26 20, 8, means. That's the Holy Spirit. Those groanings that come up out of my spirit, that's where they are right in there, and escape my lips, are inspired by the Spirit of God. And those other tongues, that come up out of my spirit. No, it isn't the Holy Spirit. Somebody said, oh, the Holy Ghost did that through me. You can't find any scripture in the New Testament where the Bible ever said the Holy Ghost talked in tongues through anybody. You see, that's the reason that we missed it in the Pentecostal movement. A lot of folks. Because they want to say it's all the Holy Ghost is doing it. No, no, no. Paul said, if I pray. He didn't say if the Holy Ghost prays through me. You don't find that expression anywhere, do you? Do you? Not one single time. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. Now, uh, notice these verses while we're there in 1 Corinthians 14, 14. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue, 1 Corinthians 14, 2. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue, it didn't say, for he that the Holy Ghost speaks in an unknown tongue through. didn't say that. So you do the talking, he gives the utterance. For he that speaketh an unknown tongue, speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, albeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. Or, Wayne was trying said, divine secret. But notice who's doing the talking? He. The man's doing the talking. The person's doing the talking. The miracle of tongues is not who's doing the talking. That's you doing the talking. The miracle is where it's coming from and what's being said. Amen. Are you listening to me? Now, look at the fourth verse he that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself. Now, if it's like some people thought it was, it would say, he that the Holy Ghost speaks through an unknown tongue edifies himself. No. No, he that speaketh, you doing the talking. I would that ye all speak with tongues. He didn't say, I would that the Holy Ghost would talk in tongues through all of you. He didn't say that. You'll find that expected. I would that ye all speak with tongues. For if I pray in an unknown tongue. Now, 16th verse, or 17th verse, or 18th verse. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than ye all Who does? I do, Paul said. I do. I, 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 I thank my God that I speak with tongues. On the day of Pentecost, Acts 2, 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak is the subject of the sinners. They were filled, they began to speak. Who was filled with the Holy Ghost? They were. Who spoke with tongues? They did. Where did it come from? As the Spirit gave them utterance. He gave them the utterance, they did the talking. One translation said, as the Spirit prompted them to speak. One fellow said to me, one of our meetings, young man, he stopped me at time as a head from a car. Brother, hey, I want to talk to you. I said, all right, what is it? You'll have to hurry because I'm in a hurry. Well, he said, now I know you laid hands on me last night and there were 18 more beside him, 19 of them, and all of them talked with tongues. And I know I spoke in something that wasn't English and something I never had spoken in before. Well, without him saying anything else, I had him located. I knew exactly where his problem was. He didn't think this is right. He thought the Holy Ghost was going to do the talking. I knew he didn't tell me, but I knew it. And so he said, uh, I said, just cut him off. He said, Well, praise God then. You're, you're filled with the Holy Ghost. You received the Holy Ghost then, didn't you? No, I don't know. He said, Brother Hagin said, I'm afraid that was just me. Well, I said, It must have been you. It wasn't me. <laughs> yeah, but he said, I'm afraid that was just me. I said, It must have been you. It wasn't your brother, was it? Yeah, but he said, I wanted, to, I wanted it to be the Holy Ghost. Oh, I said, you wanted the Holy Ghost to get the Holy Ghost. <laughs> no, he said, I wanted the Holy Ghost to talk in tongues. I said, he don't talk in tongues. He looked at me in amazement. I said, no, Holy Ghost don't talk in tongues. I said, the Holy Ghost gave you the utterance and you talk in tongues. Acts 2, 4 said, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak. They were filled and they began to speak. He said, Woo, I got it, Ina." <laughs> Hallelujah. See, soon he started watch what the Bible said and began to begin to believe what the Bible said. He felt fine. I mean, he's so happy, couldn't hardly keep him jumping up and down. Praise the Lord. Are you listening to me? So, so you see, uh, that, that needs to be clear. I want you to notice something else in reading a little further in this chapter. I want, I want to point out something else to you in this chapter of 14th uh, of, of 14, 14 chapter of 1 Corinthians. Now, the 27th verse. Now, this has to do with another area of tongues, but you see, tongues are all the same in essence, but they're different in purpose and use. Are you listening to me? So look at 27 verse. If any man, this is talking about ministering tongues in public assembly now. If any man speak in an unknown tongue. Now, he didn't say, if the Holy Ghost speaks through anybody in an unknown tongue. No, he said, if any man speaks. You have to do the speaking. You, you you don't necessarily always should. That's the reason we have so much misuse sometimes with tongues and interpretation. Just because you can, you don't necessarily should do it. Oh, you're listening to me now, but that's not the subject. So I'm not get on that right now. I'll get on that with you students when I get into the gifts of the spirit. But I want to make this one observation: If any man speak not on tongues, let it be by Two or three. Two or three doesn't refer to message in tongue, refers to men or people, man or woman. Understand, man doesn't just mean male species in the Bible. It means a person. Let it be by at the most by three, and that by course, and let one person interpret. Not one person do all the interpreters, but don't have competitive interpretations. Now, but if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church and let him speak to himself and God. That's this man or woman that's talking in tongues. Now, you wouldn't have to write to the Holy Ghost and give him instructions when to shut up and when to talk, would you? He'd know, wouldn't he? So that proves beyond all shadow of a doubt that it's the person that's doing it. And then somebody said, well, I couldn't help that. Holy Ghost made me do it. i just soon hear a donkey bray at midnight in a tin barn. I've got more respect for the donkey. Because that's all the poor old thing can do is bray. Amen. Now, if he said I didn't want to help it, I might believe it. But when he said I couldn't help it, that's another story. Because you could help. Because he said here, let him keep silence. That means he can. Or she can't. Are you still out there you going home? Well, you're thinking, I know some of your old gears, just rusty gears. you haven't used them in your head so long until they're rusty. <laughs> and they're just a going, aren't they? That's good for you, that's good for you. amen. Now I just wanted to make I don't want to get off on that, but I want to make this point. You see, if any man speak, it's man that does the speaking. you see. All right, let's go back to what Paul said here. For if I pray in an unknown tongue. My spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. My spirit, by the Holy Spirit, within me prayeth. That is, when I pray in tongues or with tongues, my spirit is doing it. It's the Holy Spirit that's furnishing the inspiration and the utterance. Helping me. Pray. Now, what is it then? i will pray with the spirit and i'll pray with the understanding also what's he saying i'll pray with tongues and i'll pray with my understanding my mind see he's talking about spirit praying and mental praying isn't he isn't he isn't he mental praying is not always spirit praying amen Praying with your understanding isn't necessarily your spirit praying. Now you can get your tongue hooked up to your spirit and pray out in this but that becomes prophecy. That's still not mental praying or praying with your understanding even though you understand what you're saying. See, prophecy can be used in prayer. I pray that way some. Are you listening? Because you see, Tongues is inspired utterance in an unknown tongue that is unknown to you. It may not be unknown to others. Prophecy is inspired utterance in a known tongue. Prophecy can be used in prayer. Some of the prayers of, of David, Moses, and others back in the book of Psalms are given by the Spirit of God. See? Not in tongues. Because didn't anybody talk in tongues back there? Oh, you listen. But by the spirit of prophecy or the gift of prophecy. Now. With interpretation, of course, is equivalent to prophecy. And so sometimes, as God wills, every prayer doesn't need to be interpreted. But God will allow you sometimes to interpret your prayer. But let him do it, don't you do it. You get in trouble that way. Now, you see, he's talking about praying with your spirit, which is with tongues, and praying with your understanding. And he said, I'll pray both ways. Now, you can understand... Why the church, you know, when I talk about the church, I'm talking about the church world as a whole. Understand what I mean by the expression. You can understand why the church, even full gospel churches sometimes, haven't done too much. Amen. Just like you can take a bicycle that's got two wheels, you see. Well, if you try to get out here and ride it just with one wheel, you're going to have problems. Now you might take one of those unicycles that' supposed to have one wheel. you might eventually learn to ride that, But it's, it, I doubt it's very serious that you'd ever get to ride that bicycle or motorcycle with one wheel off of it. And I think what's happened is this: that the church, you see, if you'd use that illustration because you see, here are the two wheels of prayer, praying with understanding, praying with the spirit, with tongues. Here's the two wheels that makes prayer go. And I think what's happened that we didn't have any front wheel. They they thought that all died with the apostles. And so they put the bicycle or the motorcycle up on a stand and they got their one wheel of of praying with their understanding and they've just been in the same spot for years. Never gone anywhere they think they are, but they've never gone anywhere. Are you following me? How many of you see that? Well, if you didn't, don't give up on it. Don't throw it away. Keep thinking on it. No, we need both wheels to going. <laughs> Glory to God. Can you see that? We need both wheels to go We need to pray with our understanding, but we need this kind of praying also. Amen. Can you say amen? amen? What is it then? What is it then, Paul said? I will pray with my spirit. I'll pray with tongues. I will pray with the understanding. I'll sing with the spirit. Oh yeah, in your, your, your prayer life, you ought to be a singing in tongues. Every one of you ought to, every single one of you ought to, and I'll sing with the understanding also. Sing both ways, praise God. Now, sometimes I've heard people, you know, in church, and you have too. They're singing some song, and a lot of times it's even an unbelieving song, un- involved with unbelieving. They said, "This, sing this, this next verse now with the spirit, with the understanding." You can't sing it both of them once. <laughs> you know what they thought singing with the spirit and understanding was? We're just putting a little spizorinkum into the singing. You know what spizorinkum is? A little more enthusiasm or emotion. See, into it. Get with it, you know. They thought that's singing with the Spirit. No, no, a lot of times that's the flesh. You sung with the Spirit, you'd all start singing in tongues. If you prayed with the Spirit, you'd all start praying in tongues. Are you listening to me now? See, so we take those verses, we have done it, Somehow, I never did take those verses out of their setting and make them say something they didn't say. Now, I want you to see something here that uh, that that we missed it. You see, there are times. Don't misunderstand me. There are times that the Spirit of God is moving so strongly upon a person that it's difficult for them to control their tongue. Somebody asked me the other night, you know, I started to say something, I started to pray with somebody in the healing line, lay hands on them, you see, and kept saying the same thing over and over again because I couldn't get my tongue because it was trying to say something in tongues. And I was trying to say something in English, you see. And sometimes the Spirit of God, it would move upon a person so strongly that it just pulled in the north, they're speaking with tongues. But I want you to notice that that is not necessarily the root. Uh, you, you see as a Baptist I was filled with the Holy Ghost spoke the tongue came over among Pentecostal people way back in 1937, 38 39 and they seemed to have this kind of an idea you see that you didn't speak you know you got filled with the Holy Ghost and spoke with tongues then might not ever speak anymore and that uh, that if you did you had to get into some, some kind of a state of ecstasy and so sometimes we got in. God just moved on us and had mercy on us in spite of our ignorance and We'd get into a state of ecstasy and talk in tongues might never talk anymore. But I was studying in my study one day, and I saw something here from this verse. I said, Now, wait a minute. Paul said, For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit pray, but my understanding is untruthful. What is it then? I will pray with the Spirit. I will pray with the understanding. And I said to myself, I said, in the, my church study, pastor study in my church, see at my desk. I said, now wait a minute. Could I say to myself right now, because there wasn't anybody in there but me, I'd have to say it to me or to the Lord, one, you see. I'm just going to get on my knees here and pray. And could I just get off of my chair and kneel down there and start praying with my understanding? Couldn't do that? Sure I could. When? In time one, two. Couldn't I? I said, wait a minute. Paul said, I will. Pray with the Spirit. Then according to what Paul said, I can get down there on my knees and start praying with the Spirit if I want to. Huh? Isn't that what he said? I saw that. I've never seen that before. Never seen that before. But that's what he said. That's what he said. I got the same Spirit Paul had. (laughs) I will. I will, he said. I will pray with the Spirit. I will pray with the understanding. Then it began to open up to me. I, I skip back up here. Wait a minute. He that speaketh an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men but unto God. Well, for no man understandeth him howbeit in the Spirit he speaketh mysteries. Well, couldn't I talk to God with my understanding anytime time I want to? I can talk to him with the supernatural language anytime time I want to. Wait a minute. He said in the fourth verse, He that speaketh an unknown tongue edifieth himself. Edify means he builds himself up. He that speaketh. I I began to study that word a little bit more and I found out that Greek scholars said that we've got a word in the Greek uh, or in our English vernacular that's closer to the meaning the Greek word that edify is. That's the word charge as we use it in connection with an automobile battery. We put the battery on the line charge it, build it up, you see. That's what edify means. Literal translation would be he that speaks not in tongue edifies and charges himself builds himself up like a battery. Your spiritual battery starts running low well build it up. Glory to God. Hallelujah. I said bless God I'm going to get down here and build up my spiritual battery. Yeah. I said to myself I'm going to get down here on my knees and I'm going to pray a couple of hours in other tongues because see I was behind on that. I will. And I got down there and just started praying myself in tongues. Talking about praying with tongues, Wiggles where it said, I always start out in the flesh and wind up in the Spirit. What did you mean? I don't have any inspiration. I just start praying in tongues. Did you ever struggle through something just making yourself do it? Boy, I'll tell you that two hours was so a long. I set my watch up in front of me and every now and then look at it. <laughs> and i sure I'd been praying for at least 30 minutes. Looking, I've been praying two minutes. But I said I'd do it, I will, I will. Now my understanding, you see, my mind wasn't thoroughly renewed with the Word of God, I just began to see something, and my mind said, well, you're wasting your time. And I kept at it, though, kept praying out of my spirit and tongue, stayed there for two hours. Well, an hour first, actually, an hour first. One hour first. And then I got up. And you know, my mind said, well, that was a waste of time. In fact, if I to tell the truth about it, physically speaking, mentally, I felt worse than it did in the start but i go open back up again to the 14th chapter here of 1 Corinthians and I said well he never said a word about it edifies you physically never said a word about it edifying you mentally it's spiritual edification and my spirit got edified it's a spiritual exercise not a physical exercise not a mental exercise well my mind said and of course the devil will side in with your natural mind well you wasted an hour now boy could have been studying on your sur- Sunday sermon you see haven't got it up yet sermons more than that. Could have visited somebody you know that's sick. Could have really done something that's profitable, but you wasted a whole hour. Now I said, just for that, Mr. Devil, I'm going to get back down here again on my knees and this time pray two hours in tongues. And if at the end of that two hours you say the same thing to me, I'm going to double it and make it four hours next time. So I got back down there and pushed myself. Oh, it was work. I never got any inspiration prayed in tongue I will do it I will do it and I prayed in tongue a couple hours got up and sat down in the chair something said to my mind now you wasted three hours (laughs) what good did you get out of that well you don't know a word you said I said that's right you see I'm not praying to myself I'm not God I said, Mr. Devil, because I had my Bible open right there. You see, it says right here that he that speaketh unknown tongue, speaketh not unto men but unto God. I've been talking to God. And the reason you're upset about is is I'm talking divine secrets. It says, Mistress King James. And you can't get in on it. Yeah, but what good did that do you? You feel worse now than you did, see, physically speaking. Because you get on your knees for three hours, boys. And you don't feel so good physically. And, uh, and, and and mentally speaking, I said, here it is, devil. Right here. He that speaketh an unknown tongue edifies himself. The real me. It didn't edify my flesh. That's reading reason my f- flesh is fighting it. It didn't edify my mind. That's the reason my mind don't like it. It edified my spirit. I'm walking my faith. I believe what the Bible said. And I already told you that if you bothered me again, I'm going to get back down there and double it every time. So I'm going to get back down there and pray four hours this time in tongues. And if at the end of that time you you say the same thing to him, I'm going to get back down there and pray eight hours in tongues. And at the end of the eight hours, if you bother me again, I'm going to get back down there and pray 16 hours. Just keep doubling it every time. Well, you see, I'd already prayed three that day. And so I got back down on my knees. I mean, I did. No inspiration. My God, if it had been going by feeling, I'd have phoned Brother Hank and said, have the church pray for me and backslid. <laughs> Never felt a thing. Never felt a thing. Oh, I'll tell you, it was a struggle. Never felt a thing. Felt worse at the end of the two hours than I did it at the beginning. <laughs> but I got down there because I said I would. I will. I will. A lot of people need this. They ought to do it. I will. They're waiting for God to do something. He's waiting for them to do something. And i started in again. Well, I prayed through that fifth hour. I got over into the sixth hour. Prayed five hours and 45 minutes. And I got over into that sixth hour, and boy, I began to hit oil. <laughs> See, I just kept drilling. Just kept drilling. Praying in tongue. Never said a word to me. Did it all in tongue. Just made myself do it. And I hit oil. Boy, and I hit oil. It just it started flowing out then, you know. And at five hours and 45 minutes, Five hours and 45 minutes. I cut it off because the devil never said anything else to me. He's he, he siding in with me then because he didn't want me to get something, you see. Five hours and 45 minutes, the Spirit of God began to speak to me. This is way back in November, I mean in February of 1943. The Spirit of God began to say something to me, and I got my pencil and paper and wrote down. He said at the end of World War Number 2, is in World War Number 2 then, there'll come a revival of divine healing to America. Showed me some other things. He said the Spirit will show you things to come. You know most everything I know. You know how I learned it? I didn't get it by studying books. I studied them. Don't misunderstand me. I read all night long many times. I I didn't go to Bible school, but I got the books they taught in several different schools and studied them, read them. I've always been very studious. But you know how I learned the Bible? On my knees praying in tongues. Even the revelation of it came to me. Sometimes praying in tongues, the Spirit of God would take me through several chapters of the Bible and just change me. Just change my ministry. Just swap in. Let's talk the other direction. Amen. I remember I was praying down in Alabama. We were, we didn't have day service. We had night, you know, a little Simply God church. We had nights, our only night service. But at 9.30 in the morning, the pastor and his wife and, my, and myself, my wife is home with our children in school. And I was staying in the home of a medical doctor, and his wife was Pentecostal. And his, his son's a medical doctor, and he's Pentecostal also. But, uh, but she came and prayed with us. And, and, and two other ladies. So you see, that was about six of us, 9.30 every morning, would pray from 9.30 till about 11.30. Well, we had this appointment every day to go eat uh, the noon meal with some member of the family of the church, you see. And about that main meal was about all eight in those days. And so we were praying, and I got what I call lost in the spirit. I don't mean as unconscious. I you're just more conscious of spiritual things than you are natural things. And so, I, I, I had opened my eyes and looked at my watch once, and it was uh, about 11.30, and I thought, well, I, I'll just spend some more time praying here, and, and I'll, uh, you know, because if we get it, we're going right across the street in front of the church, the home are going to that day. And if we go over there, you know, well, you need to enter into a lot of unprofitable conversation. People want to talk and ask questions, if, Really not spiritual most of the time, just majority of my ignorant questions. <laughs> Might as well say amen. <laughs> and I don't, just don't like to waste my time in, in a lot of stuff like that. So I'll just pray another 15 minutes anyway, and if I do get to praying, I'll hear, because in this little old town, down there in Alabama, they had a, a sawmill, and, and they rode a 12 o'clock whistle. You could hear it all over town, see? And I'll hear that. And I'll, all I'd have to do is just get up and walk right across the street there. And, because the man worked the sawmill, and he wouldn't come in until that whistle blew. And so I got to praying. Got back into the Spirit. About 11.30. And after a while I said to myself, well, I must have been praying 15 minutes because it must be at least 11.45, but now. And opened my eyes and looked at my watch, and it said 1.30. I said, now, wait a minute. That's uh, something happened to my watch. <laughs> you know, I forgot to water it or something because <laughs> it's just a dollar watch and, and it got to running fast you see and so I got up and staggered across the street over there and I said to, to the pastor something happened to my watch went into the living room and he and his wife and the lady of the house said that I said "I ah, something happened to my watch that says, says it's 1.30 I know I, I'd a whistle never be because I'd have heard it if it's no he said brother Hagen it's 1.30 in the afternoon Oh, I said, it couldn't be. I couldn't have been praying over 15 minutes after I said that. No, he said, uh, He said I came over there to get you, but I saw you as lost in the spirit, and in the spirit of praying, I didn't want to disturb you, and husband had to go back to work, so we just went ahead and ate, and, you know, we saved some for you. So Now, in this time, though, that I was lost in the spirit, the Lord came. I was doing all of it in tongues. And he took me through the first three chapters of the book of First Corinthians. And it just changed my ministry. I swapped ends. The Lord showed me, you see, that here in First Corinthians, Paul writing to the church in the first chapter started off by bragging on them a little bit. Commending them. You come behind in no good gift. They had all the gifts of spirit in operation. He didn't just start belaboring them because they his babies. He bragged on them a little bit first. And then the second chapter, he began to get into the fact, and the third chapter, is, that they were yet carnal. Or baby Christians. You see. But then he concluded in the third chapter, not by berating them and beating them over the head because they are, and that's what I'd have done up to then. But he concluded the chapter in 1 Corinthians 3, about 20, by encouraging them and saying, all things are yours. Even you baby carnal Christians, all things are yours. It's all yours. Whether Cephas or whether Paul or whether Apollos. Amen. All th- or whether Christ. All things are yours. And ye are Christ's and Christ is God's. Now he said to me, if it had been you, then I'd have done it then. If it had been you riding to that church at Corinth, you would have said, you bunch of backslidden buzzards ought to get right with God. Pray (laughs) through. I'd have done it. (laughs) You bunch of backslidden buzzards ought to pray through and get right with God. I'd have done it. But he said, see, that's not the thing to do. That's not what Paul did. People's not going to get anywhere doing that. He said to me, the Lord said to me, while I was lost in the spirit there, you remember Lefty or then J.W.? And I said, I couldn't remember for a minute. Then he reminded me and I remembered. This boy was, a now that was his name. He had an initial name, J.W. Also called him Lefty part of the time, called him left-handed. But, J.W. was his name. He had an initial name. Didn't stand for anything. That's just his name. His mother was, had died when he was just a little bitty, oh, three or four years old. His daddy was a conductor on the old interurban. urban used to run from to to Denison down in Texas. Well, he run up and down the back alley. He in the same, same grade that I was in, but he was two or three grades behind, see, and two or three years older than the rest of us. I'll tell you, Mr. McCaston, the principal of the school, would give him two or three paddlings a day. That's about the meanest guy you've ever seen in your lifetime. And they had him up. They were going to send him to the reform school. Had him on probation, then he got into something else, and so they was going to send. And the county judge had called Mr. McCastlin. And I heard Mr. McCaston say to my grandfather... Mr. Drake, what are we going to do with J.W.? He said, I, uh, Mr. He said, Dr. Uh, Judge Abernathy called me, and they're going to send him to the reform school. And he said, I hate to see the poor boy go, he said, but I've done everything I ought to do. And my grandfather said, Mr. McCaston? I know I heard that standing right there. He said, uh, and the Lord reminded me, Mr. McCaston, he said, see if you can get Judge Abernathy to give us another 30 days on him, or 60 days, better 60. And said, if you'll do what I'll tell you to do, I'll guarantee you we'll make a man out of him. You'll never go to the farm school. Mr. Mack said, all right, I'll call him. I'll see if I can get Judge Abernathy to give us another on this. And he did. Now, I heard Mr. Mack come back to my grandfather and ask him. And I heard him tell him, see. My grandfather said, Mr. Mack, you notice he hangs around me all the time. You know why he does? I'm the only one that believes in him. Everybody else is taken out of him. I'm the only one that tells him that he, that he can't amount to something. And he'll hang around me recess or dinner time, he would hang around me instead of playing anymore. He said, now first, don't ever give him a whipping anymore because you beat him and beat him and beat him and beat him. And beat him. Right time, the right kind of whipping's all right. But you can't have too many of them it won't work at all, see. He said, now, you see, you've got to start putting something into him, not taking something out of him. Now at noontime... Mr. Mack would sell candy and stuff, you see, and take the, the proceeds and buy playground equipment, balls, bats, and so on. And somebody had stolen money, and it was J.W. that stole it because Grandpa, out of the principal's office, because Mr. Mack taught mathematics, and his office would be empty when he was teaching mathematics, you see. And Grandpa had hid in the, in the restroom, principal's restroom, and watched and knew who it was. It was J.W. that stole the money out of the principal's desk. But he said, you see, you've got to put confidence in him. You've been taken out of him. Put something in him now. Put something in him. He said, you say, J.W., you're older than the other students. See, he ought already to be in junior high and still down there in the fifth grade, in grade school. He said, uh, tell him, J.W., take him in there and show him where the money is, right in the the drawer. Somebody's been stealing that money. It's J.W. who does. You're older than the rest of them. I've got to have somebody put confidence in I want you to keep the office for me when I'm teaching. Just call him out of his class. He said, we'll start building something in him. You know, they did. I remember we went back to class that afternoon, you know, and Mr. Mack came to the door and motioned, J.W., everybody began to snigger, you know, they thought you was going to hear those paddle hitting him, you know. Because you usually did three times a day at least. But you didn't hear any paddle this time. And J.W. was gone the whole class period. Sometimes even when he was supposed to be in class, Mr. Mack would excuse him, say, bit. They made, in those days they graded us A, B, C, D. D's, he made a straight D report card. Straight D. The least you can make. You know. Bottom. And that's the third year he's been in that grade. <laughs> straight D. And, 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 and it, you know, you'd think naturally you ought to be in class. Because it's mathematics, but Mr. Mack said, J.W., uh, you're excused from the class, said, you go, go watch the office for me. I've got to have somebody that's older, you know, you're more older and more mature. You think any more money was missing? Not a dime. Grandpa told him, said, if a dime's missing, I'll put it in. A nickel, not a dime. He started passing his grades. He got passed on to, and then went to the farm school, grew up to be a worthwhile citizen. Now, here's what the Lord said to me in the spirit down in Alabama, way back in February of 1951. He said, you see, the Bible says the children of this world, this generation, are wiser in their generation than the children of light. Why don't we have that much sense? Huh? But you can take spiritually speaking. People will be people that that you'll never mount in and say, let's start putting something in them. Let's start putting something in them. Are you still out there? And he just just changed my ministry. Learned it. (laughs) No, bless God. He enhanced it. No, by everything I know, that's how I got it, by praying in tongues. Everything I'm doing today in the ministry, I got it while I was praying in tongues. Radio ministry, publication ministry, everything we've got. The entire ministry, I got it while I was praying in tongues. I reason a lot of people never get nothing. They never do enough praying in tongues. They never get into the Spirit. It's all mental. And then it falls because it's mental. It's not spiritual. Well, i took a different direction than I intended to, but it's still good, isn't it? Are you out there? Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Well, the Holy Spirit helpeth our infirmities. He helps us to intercede with groanings. Many times. Now, sometimes, I'll give you one or two illustrations. See, the Spirit of God will alert you a lot of times, but then you've got to respond. He won't just make you do something. I remember on one occasion, my wife and I were up in State, Oregon, preaching. son was with us. He's a Bible college, Ken was, and he was off in the summertime. And in the nighttime, I was awakened. and I said to the Lord in prayer, and I realized the Lord woke me up way up in the morning. I don't know, two, four o'clock in the morning. I said, Lord, what is it? What is it? I realize something's wrong somewhere. If you pray enough, have enough experience in the Spirit, you can tell whether it's a spiritual need or physical need or whatever. I realized that somebody's physical life is in danger. And I knew it was some of my folks, kin folks. Now, sometimes you won't know. And so I began, I said, look, I just said to the Holy Spirit, now, I don't know for what to pray, I don't know what it is, but you know, now help me to pray. And I prayed that thing. Oh, my, I lay there and never disturbed my life, never awakened it. Prayed an hour and a half, another time. Then I had a note of victory. and began to sing in tongues. Laugh real quietly to myself in the Spirit. See, when you have that, you know whatever it is you prayed it through as we say. Well, two days later, we had a little travel trailer we traveled in. And they came from the travel uh, off, uh, trailer office. We were lying down in the afternoon and said, You've got a long-distance emergency call. So I run up to the office to answer this call. See, we was holding a revival in Coos Bay, Oregon, in the first 4th Square Church. And so... Uh, it was my sister. Well, I couldn't make head to tail on what she's saying right at first because she's so incoherent. And so, then she said, finally I got her. I said, oh, Rita, quiet down so I can understand what you're saying. I can't understand what you're saying. Well, they called her from over here in Kansas and my oldest brother, Doug, had broken his back. And, and a lady called him and said, they're taking my husband home today and I've been seeing after him but nobody's see after him. He's in a cast all the way down. And the doctor just said, we don't know about him and, and she just cried and said, uh, Ken, I, I want you to pray. And said, I, 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 I'm going to try to go, but I don't know. Oh, I said, oh, to just forget about it. You don't have to go. He'll be all right. I realized that. See, I didn't know it till then. I just knew I was praying about somebody, but I realized that's it. I said, I've already got that thing prayed through. He's all right. Don't bother about it. Don't bother about it. He'll be all right. And he got up and walked out of there with a the cast on back. The doctor told me he couldn't do it, but he did. He did. And him, him not even in a good spiritual condition, backslidden. We got back home I was there at our, at our house, but I'm well satisfied that we prayed him out of death. I know I was in. We was in uh, in Redondo Beach, California, holding a meeting in four square Church there, 1956. Well, I was waking that away in the nighttime. I beg- I said, Lord, what is it? What is it? What is it? something wrong? I thought somebody was in the trailer. I went through the trailer and looked, you know, but the doors was all locked, so I thought somebody would come in. And I went back and lay down. I said, Lord, you must have awakened me. What is it? What is it? I began to put up my spiritual radar. Well, I knew I could sense in the spirit somebody's life's in danger. It's not a spiritual, it's a physical thing. Because, you see, you feel that physical danger in your spirit. You know? You feel that alarm. Sometimes it even spill over into your body. And I said, "Somebody." Somebody's, uh, his life's in danger. I don't know who it is, some of the folks, some of the kinfolks, some of our people. I don't know who it is, but you know. Now, Holy Spirit in me, help me to pray. I don't know for what to pray ought, but you do. And I started myself, just in the flesh, as you would say, making myself do it, praying in tongues. Then the morning came, you know, and I, I must have prayed an hour or so, maybe an hour and a half another tongue. tongues. Fell off asleep. sleep. Just before I awakened, w- I, I dreamed. I saw my youngest brother, who was a salesman, and who also was backslid. I'd been saved, I'd been filled with Spirit the whole, one time in his life. I saw, I knew, you know how it is in a dream, you know where it is. I, I, I was standing outside the hotel in Shreveport, Louisiana. He is a salesman in automotive parts. And I saw him then. First, I stand out in the street, you see, and I could see the hotel sign. Then, I'm right there in the hotel room. And I saw him in the nighttime, and he's sick. And he called the desk. And after he called the desk, he passed out. But I I heard the siren. I saw the ambulance coming. I saw them get him. Karen put him in the ambulance and rush him to the hospital. Then I'm standing in the corridor of the hospital outside of the door and I know he's in that room. There's a doctor in there with him. The doctor came out, his head down. He said, well, he's gone. He's gone. And I heard myself say, no, doctor, he's not gone. And he looked up then because he was looking down and he said didn't you understand me? He's dead he's already dead. I said no he's not dead. Now this is a dream he's not dead. He said what makes you say that? I said the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh you're one of them nuts. Yeah so now (laughs) this is a dream now he whirled around opened that door and said I'll just show you. And we went into this room and there's a body lying on the bed heads covered up sheet and he jerked that sheet down and said look and we looked, and his eyes were moving, his mouth was moving. And he looked at me, he looked at him. Now this is a dream. And he said, uh, well, you must know something I didn't know. He said, I have pronounced too many people dead. I know he's dead. And I woke up. I realized that that was what I was praying about. Now that was May of 1956. August of 1956, we came back to, to Garland where we lived, suburb of Dallas. This is a large trade. We had a 43-foot Spartan Imperial Mansion. You know, used to build them here in Tulsa. And I was parking in the backyard of our house. There. I'd just been in about five to ten minutes. And they're setting the thing up on the, you know, leveling it up. Setting up on Jackson. And he came down the street in his car and pulled in the drive and came back there where I was. And we spoke to one another, of course. And then he said, you know, I almost died while y'all was gone. I said, yeah, it was last May. This is all. I said, it was last May. You was down the street for it. You took sick at night time, called the operator, hotel operator, asked her to call an ambulance uh, or doctor and you passed out. Then they rushed you to the hospital and the doctor told you after you revived that he thought she was gone. Yeah, yeah. He said, that's a, who told you, Mama? I said, no, I just got in 10 or 15 minutes ago. I haven't seen anybody. Well, he said, how'd you know? I said, I told him. Well, he said, that's exactly the way it happened. That's exactly the way it happened. I see, he'd have died. The Spirit knows, oh, we need, we must have this kind of friend. The Spirit knows for who to pray, that we don't know about, see, that we, we wouldn't even think about. But the Holy Ghost knows, I said, the Holy Ghost knows, Amen. praise God forevermore. Let's train ourselves to be sensitive to the Spirit of God. Hallelujah that He'll help us. And then when, when things arise, if we don't know how to pray well just get on your knees and say now to the Holy Ghost you can talk to him don't pray to him but talk to him he's a person a divine personality and he's in you I'm talking about the spirit filled people now I don't know for what to pray is but you do you do I know I was holding a meeting down there at Brother Hankins West Columbia first time I'd preach for him I'd preach more than once Assembly of God Church remember that first meeting down there done and you know that's the time when the Cuban crisis came See, well, Ken, you see, uh, was going into the service. In fact, he was down there at that time, but he was already in the service, really. And so he was great concerned about that. And so as I I said, you help me to pray. Remember, you're right there on the platform. You, you help me, Spirit of God. And I began to pray in tongues. And I prayed that thing out for a few minutes in another tongue. And then the Spirit of God said, don't bother about it. It'll be over here just a day or two. Nothing will happen. Nothing will happen. Just, just forget about it. Everything will be all right. Praise God, and it was all right.